Are you ready? It's time for the Hammered Sports Podcast. You heard it. It is time for the Hammered Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Gray, here with my co-host, Tom Abbey. Cheers and happy St. Patrick's Day. Oh, yeah. Beautiful St. Patrick's Day. Sun was shining near 60 degrees here in western New York. Yep. Uh, we're in the Hammered Sports Lounge. Tom decked out in his leprechaun gear. Ready to roll. Let's jump right in this week, Tom. We've got a loaded card to get through. Um, we're going to give you some picks, some kind of quick picks when we go through the, the, the golf and uh, the UFC. Uh, going to give you some March Madness selections that we like. Um, but let's fire it right up with some free agency talk, Tom. Yeah, absolutely. Um, crazy fun weekend, as always, when NFL free agency starts. A lot of guys making a lot of money. A lot of owners spending a lot of money. Yeah. Um, I mean, the biggest contract, I'll just get us going. Trent Williams, six years, $138 million, $55 million of that guarantee. That's a lot for a 33-year-old tackle, setting the market, to say the least. Absolutely, and you know the the New England Patriots wasted no time spending a lot of money on tight ends, uh, Nelson Aguilar, uh, Matthew Judon, yeah. some great signings there in New England. It was a really wild time. Um, yeah. You've got the backup quarterback market went pretty quick. You had Dalton. Well, Dalton's going to get a starting job. Fitzpatrick's is going to get a starting job more than likely. Um, then Jacoby Brissett and Tyrod Taylor both got new teams. Yeah. So that market was moving. There are still some free agent quarterbacks out there looking for jobs uh, that I'm sure will land somewhere. Uh, Jameis sure. got an extension, got one year, um, so he'll be competing with Taysom Hill, Taysom Hill for that job. Yep. So they're interesting world in the quarterback carousel, but there are not really any starter quality guys left on the market at this point. So everybody yeah. else will be depth. Uh, backup signings and we'll definitely touch the quarterback carousel as we get closer to the draft it'll become something to reassess as we go into it uh some pass rushers get some money bud dupree from tennessee outside linebacker likes to get off the passer five years 82 million dollars with tennessee trey hendrickson going to cincinnati for four years 60 million dollars carl lawson with a nice deal three years 45 million for the jets uh carl lawson was dang good last year on a oh, yeah, bad sure team was. He sure was. Romeo Aquara resigns. Um, of course, we all know about the J.J. Watt deal. Uh, Yannick Ngakwe goes to Las Vegas. For cheap. Yeah. 20, two years, $26 million, $13 million a year. When I saw that, I was like, come on. Yeah. How is he not in Buffalo? Yeah. Tack McKinley, a high upside guy, went yeah. for one year, $4.25 million to go opposite Miles Garrett. Man, is there a good situation there. Uh, yeah. if, if there's ever a situation where he's going to succeed in this league, it's opposite Miles Garrett. <laughs> right. And uh, then now the the wide receiver has been interesting. Uh, some of the bigger names, Juju Smith-Schuster is still out there, Kenny Galladay, Ty Hilton. Um, uh, people are, are holding some of this cash to their best when it comes to the wideouts. Uh, I know you had a theory here. Yeah, I really believe that the depth and talent of this wide receiver class has people really hesitant to spend money on wide receivers right yeah. now. So, it, you know, everybody's looking at this going, man, we have an opportunity here to draft somebody in rounds two and three that may get us the same production as these guys that are wanting eight, nine, ten million dollars. Right. Yeah, and it's definitely something I think the last two years 
wide receivers class have kind of shown the blueprint like hey you can get Justin Jefferson at 22 and have an amazing season out of him you can get uh, like the the Bills with Gabriel Davis fourth round pick who's a solid contributor for a, for a winning team like these guys are in there and they're deep yeah um, but we have seen some movement uh, Curtis Samuel just signed with Washington three years 34 million Corey Davis going to the Jets three years 37 million Marvin Jones right landed in ja- with the Jaguars yes he's a nice option to add there with DJ Shark uh, that Trevor Lawrence is going to have some opportunity there. Yeah. I don't think they're going to be too bad. Big news tonight is Patrick Peterson just signed with Minnesota. One year, 10 mil. Really? Yeah. Nice so. landing spot for him. Yes. They could use the help at the corner position. And, uh, you know, the running back market's been a little slow to develop as well. Marlon Mack re-signed on one year, 2 million. Yeah. Uh, Mark Ingram, one year, 2.5 million. Carlos Hyde got two years, 4.5. Devontae Booker goes to the Giants at uh, two years, 5.5. Jamal Williams is going to get an opportunity to spell DeAndre Swift in Detroit, two years, 7.5 million. So a couple really good good signings there, value signings. You know, these are not guys that are going to go in and knock your socks off. Aaron Jones got the big money to stay with Green Bay. Yeah. And that's the – There's still a lot of good running backs left. Like Chris Carson's still out there. There's still some guys. Yeah. Um. I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout-out to my favorite fantasy football kicker, Matt Prater. Thank you for staying in a dome in Arizona. Oh, I appreciate go. that, and I'll continue to draft you every season. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so the tight end market was crazy, obviously. Well, mostly crazy in New England, right? Yeah, good Lord. they find The cap is off. The, the spending spree just was unleashed there. Yeah. Uh, Gerald Everett moving to Seattle. That's a nice ad for the yeah. Seahawks if Russell Wilson stays. Um, you know, a lot of other guys. Rob Gronkowski re-ups in Tampa. He's going to c- run it back. Um, you yeah, got, you guys got yourselves a backup quarterback with Jacoby Brissett coming to Miami, and I like it. And kind of like up that we talked about a little bit on the phone. He's perfect for that for that yeah. role. Veteran enough to help him. Good enough if you need him. Not scary to to yeah. push for the right. position though. Exactly. So, you know, free agent market's still developing. There's still a lot of names out there, still a lot of players that you will recognize getting contracts over the next few days. You know, there's still people like Le'Veon Bell on the market. You know, there are names that you will know that you'll be like, oh, wow, you know, when you hear the signing. But it's still developing. Guys, it's been a little slower because of the cap restrictions this year. A lot of people being cut, and I think that's why some of these teams are waiting they were waiting until teams had to get under that yeah that number and we're going to release more players and now i think is when it will really speed up i think you'll see a lot of signings tonight and tomorrow and, and you're going to see more of it when people start when they start drafting they're going to be more cuts yeah uh, there's going to be more cuts all right so moving on from nfl free agency we'll be circling back to nfl talk later when we show. go over the best offensive tackle and tight end prospects in this draft as we see it Absolutely. Uh, so, great golf tournament last week, the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Justin Players' Thomas. Championship. Yes. <laughs> Arnold Palmer Invitational <laughs> was the week before, DeChambeau. But um, it's players, a great stretch yeah. of tournaments. So. <laughs> um, the Players was great. Justin Thomas come having a great Saturday and keeping the momentum into Sunday. Late charge. Westwood and DeChambeau faltered a bit on Sunday, yeah. uh, leading to an opportunity for someone to come and take it. And Justin Thomas is that kind of guy. 
uh, emotional victory for him with the loss of his grandfather and then the trouble he got in for um, using some language that was not yeah. considered uh, it wasn't good not acceptable good. bad luck yeah. Justin yeah we've all been there move on yeah absolutely um, but yeah I mean there definitely uh, this this tournament's so much fun every year I just love watching that one and um, now we've got the Honda Classic this week and Tom yes. found an angle that he likes yeah so one thing I noticed is looking at some of the winners the last three winners Sun JM Keith Mitchell Justin Thomas what would they have all in common well, all three finish their weekends as number one shots gained tee to green. That's something that I'm, I implore you to look at when you're making your bets this weekend. All three also finish top five in scrambling. Scrambling, tee to green, getting to the green because the greens are a little easier than we've seen the last few weeks. Yeah, so we've got some picks that we've uh, put together here. Um, I like Keegan Bradley this week. Keegan Bradley is 10th in the world in strokes gained tee to green and there is no one in the top nine yeah. that are participating in this event he's so literally number one <laughs> he is literally number one um joaquin neiman is is right there with him um so he's another name you should watch but he's got a short price but uh, keegan bradley you can still get a plus 4500 um the other picks that i like here uh we've got uh, i like john huh john huh is number 27 in the world in strokes gained tee to, tee to green, which is probably going to put him somewhere around um, fifth in this field in that category. So I, I think that this is a, a really good opportunity for him. I saw his price here a couple of minutes ago. Um, I'll circle back and give you guys the price at the end. Tom, give us a couple of your picks. Yeah, so same concept, right? I'm looking for guys who good irons get to the green. So Chris Kirk at plus 3,000. Adam Scott plus two thousand, and then a big swing. Russell Knox plus seventy five hundred. Russell Knox has a pension for winning these these tournaments that are wedged in between big events. Yeah, that's, that's what he does, and this is exactly what we're looking at here. Some of the big guys aren't there. It's his time to shine. John Hunt plus seventy five hundred. Big swing. Yeah, and Doug Gim, another guy who strikes it very well, uh, plus fifty five hundred. He is in the top thirty in the world in ball striking as well. Uh, so these are the, the players that I like uh, to compete this week. Uh, some nice prices there, and those are the plays that I'm going to have this week. I won't be playing any of the favorites, um, which is often the case here. Um, I do want to mention, though, when you play a player to win, play twice as much on him to finish in the top five because it is worth it. Yes. Uh, coming up just short, it stings. And I know from experience with Lee Westwood at the Arnold Plummer Invitational <laughs> where a ball stops in the divot in the fairway and – cost me the opportunity at a very large payday correct so you know quick hit tonight we're not going to dig into this one in detail but it's a fun event uh because it's challenging and the wind is blowing hard in florida this week yeah moving on tom let's do it let's talk a little ncaa tournament yeah i like it ncaa tournament action tom and i are going to give two upsets from the first round that we both like um, and then we're going to give two teams that we think will advance to the final four that you can play. I'll jump right in with my first upset that I like here, and that's Winthrop to upset Villanova. They are plus 215 to upset Villanova. Villanova is not the same team that they have been. They've had a lot of success in the tournament. But for me, I love the way Winthrop plays basketball. Uh, they move the ball around well. They play great defense. And I think they have a great opportunity to pull the upset here. So give me Winthrop plus 215 in round one. Love it. 
I have Georgetown. Uh, I was telling Kevin before, my philosophy with some of these upsets, I'm looking for teams that either have a superstar that's on a lesser team but can take over a game, or a team that can just out-muscle, out-rebound, and get to the get to the next round. Uh, I'm going with Georgetown here over Colorado at plus 175. Georgetown plays defense. Georgetown rebounds. They're big. And Patrick Ewing is their head coach. And Patrick Ewing. I mean, that goes without saying in this podcast. Yeah. And uh, my second upset is Georgia Tech, plus 180 against Loyola Chicago. Loyola Chicago's had a nice year. Uh, they ended up winning their conference. Uh, but uh, I think they're being overplayed here against a team from the ACC that played in the ACC championship game. Uh, gave a lot of really good teams a run for their money. I like Josh Pastner as a coach for the Ramblin' Wreck, plus 180 to get an upset here in round one. And sticking with my theme of rebounding big men, I'm going with Utah State over Texas Tech. Uh, plus 170 is the line, and Utah State rebounds with some of the best in the country. That's uh, what they do. Yeah, and that's a you know a big angle to get at when a team can rebound like crazy. It makes things really tough. Yes, if you can get extra chances to score and you can limit the other team's chances to score, it's always going to work out. Yeah, I don't have the odds here up for the teams advancing to the Final Four, so um, if you can, I'll, I'll give you my teams. If you can tell me what kind of price I'm going to get on those, that would be stellar, Tom. Yeah. So um, as I take a look at the tournament bracket, I'm trying to pick teams. I, I'm not necessarily like a chalk kind of guy for the NCAA tournament. Sometimes it plays out that way. This does not feel like one of those times. Uh, it seems like this may be a year where we could be in for teams springing the big upsets. So I'm, I'm going to take an opportunity here. I'm not going to go with a huge upset, but I like Houston to advance out of the bracket with Illinois uh, to the Final Four. I mean, I think that uh, their path is pretty good. They get Clemson or Rutgers in round two. Um, and then West Virginia could potentially be their opponent in round three. I like their matchup against all of those teams, and I'm not sure. Everybody likes Illinois a lot, and I do too, but at times they they rely so much on their big man to make plays. Yeah. Um, you know, Coburn there, and I'm just not – I'm not necessarily sold on them as a Final Four participant right now. Sure. And I like what Houston's got going on down there. Houston at plus 300. Good. Uh, my first one I'm going to go with is a four seed in, or a three seed rather, and it's it's a similar thing. I like their path. I don't see any team that they would be have no shot at against in their section. I'm going with Kansas. Kansas, a team who's been there, done that. A three seed at plus eleven hundred, and why is that? Because the Zags. Everyone loves the Zags. Everyone's all about the Zags. The Zags are the favorite, minus two fifty. Uh, which is crazy to think that you're minus money to get to the Final Four and win yeah. your West region. But minus 250, give me Kansas to get through, get that upset. All right. And I'm going to go with a four seed to advance to the Final Four. And that's do it. the Florida State Seminoles. <laughs> the Florida State Seminoles. Um, I like their path. Uh, it's just they match up very well. I'm not if, changing mine. If Georgetown advances – um, Georgetown will be going up against a team that does what they do well even better. Yeah. When Michigan advances, when and if Michigan advances, I love the matchup of the bigs of Florida State on the interior. They play tremendous defense. Um, ACC school that played a tough schedule this year, and I don't see I, – I think that this is the best value that you can grab for a team that has the opportunity to advance – 
and and matches up well against the top tier teams in that bracket. Yeah, Michigan and Alabama are not very uh, scary right. as one and twos. Um, I think Florida State would have more trouble with Texas even uh, yeah. than Michigan and Alabama. The, the Florida State was my second pick too. I should have went with them first. Yeah, but uh, it just makes too much sense. Plus six hundred is a little light for a four seed. Yeah, but it's because this. This bracket is wide open. Yeah, any of those top four teams would would make it, and you wouldn't bat an eye because none of them are that much better than the other. For what it's worth, I'm rooting for St. Bonaventure. Go Bonnies! Yeah. All right. By the way, you can uh, put twenty five hundred on them to reach the final four, plus twenty five hundred. Yeah, that, that's a, that's a long ways to go, though. <laughs> it's yeah. a long, tough road. You ain't kidding. So, uh, who's your who's your second choice going to be? It's Florida State. I said I'm not oh, changing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, we'll stand pat. We only gave out three of them, but that's, you know, if you're looking for other values out there, guys, there, Arkansas plays some fun basketball. Um, you know, a lot of pressure. I don't know that they've got the shooting to get it done. Speaking um, of pressure, Florida State better not get knocked out in the first two rounds because we're both on them now. I know we look silly. Yeah, I'm betting against them. <laughs> fade, fade, fade away, fade them. All right, yeah. Who are they playing against in the first round? <laughs> UNC Greensboro? Yeah. All right. Somebody better put a little action on that because <laughs> with us both on the same team to advance to the Final Four, that could be bad. Yeah. If Georgetown wins, I'm definitely betting Georgetown. Yeah. All um, right. Let's move on to some UFC, UFC talk. We uh, don't want to spend too much time on this UFC. Uh, it's a fight night. These fight nights are hit or miss sometimes. Sometimes they're not so bad. This one's not great, but it has a really fun main event. Yeah, and the co-main event is near and dear to our hearts in Western New York. Yeah, our boy Gregor Gillespie returning to fight. Um, the I I'd done all this prep work to talk about a heavyweight fight between Tai Tuivasa and Dante Mays, and Dante Mays is no longer going to fight as of this afternoon. Who's plugging in? Did they say? Yeah, hold on. I just was looking at it. Harry Hunsucker. Okay. All right. Uh, first fight in the UFC. He's making his debut. Stepping in on three days' notice. I mean, good on him. Um, yeah. It's gutsy at the heavyweight division. He defended his HR MMA heavyweight title 18 days ago. Um, he had a chance to win a, a UFC contract before on Dana White's Contender Series, and he got knocked out. So, Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, if they put this up, I was actually just looking and on the site I use. This fight's not even up yet, but... It's probably going to be the, the odds are going to be so long. Tai Tuivasa will be the captain of my captain mode MMA <laughs> tickets this yeah, week for sure. All the DKs. Yeah. So uh, can't lose. I'm going to talk about uh, Gregor the Gift Gillespie against Brad Rydell. Um, Rydell is nine and one, three and zero oh in the UFC. Uh, Gregor Gillespie thirteen and one. The pride uh, of Rochester, New York. Absolutely. And uh, coming off a loss to Kevin Lee in 2019, he's on a big layoff here. Uh, making his return. He spent some time back here at home in Rochester, uh, met a nice girl, had a nice time here, um, worked really hard in his brother's basement. Uh, I was reading a story for, about him today, um, but he couldn't wait to get back to Long Island and continue his training. He is a creature of habit. He works very hard. He has cardio for days, yeah. and his wrestling skills are phenomenal. So Gregor Gillespie is going to win the fight. He is going to finish the fight. I love our boy Gregor Gillespie in this, <laughs> um, and, and I can't wait to watch it. 
McGregor averages seven takedowns per 15 minutes. He's incredible. insane. Yeah, and he doesn't even always do it. He had had, uh, what, three straight fights where he had knocked guys out. Yeah. Which unfortunately lulled him into a a dangerous situation against uh, one of the best strikers in the world in Kevin Lee. But that happens in the UFC. It tends to. Brad Riddell's, I mean, he's not nobody. He's 8-1. and one. Um, he's, He looks like he has not a lot of UFC fights. Looks like only one under his belt. So it's going to be a big step in competition for him. His one fight he uh, won by decision. So we'll, we'll see. He, I think he has a couple of UFC fights a under couple. his corner. Yeah, and he, he's got a couple oh, decision wins. Another one, yeah. Yeah, so it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how he handles the step up in class yeah. against Gillespie. Let's talk main event. Yeah. Derek Brunson versus Kevin Holland. Uh, this fight's a lot of fun. You got a couple top 10 middleweights going at it. Uh, both of them are on three fight win streaks. Uh, both of them are kind of taking strides to be up and coming in this. Brunson has been on a tear. Yes. This is a guy who, you know, had some moments in his career where he was taking losses, um, but he has really turned a corner recently. So I'm very impressed with his recent performances, but Kevin Holland has been great too. Yeah, uh, Kevin Holland's last time out KO'd Jacara Souza, who we've all seen. And it was I don't, I don't know if you guys have seen that knockout. If you haven't, go back and watch it. <laughs> he knocks him out from his back. Yeah, um, and then that was the fight before that. He submitted a guy from his back. So yeah, like he's super talented. He's a dangerous, dangerous man. And the fight odds are Kevin Holland is minus 170, so you can get Derek Brunson at plus 140. Uh, interesting fight. I mean, I I lean a little bit Holland's way, but I don't know if minus 170 is as far as I would go. Yeah, um, not me, man. I'm on, I'm on Derek Brunson here. He's his two losses were to I mean he did lose to Jacare Sosa he got head kicked um, and then he, and then he lost to Israel Adesanya um, prior to that losses to Anderson Silva and Robert Whitaker yeah I mean we're talking about the best of the best but he knocked out Daniel Kelly he knocked out Lyoto Machida he beat Elias Theodoro who boring ups fights <laughs> Ian Heinish has been one of the hot prospects out there and he won a unanimous decision against him and then he knocked out Edmund Shabazian who was supposed to be the hottest prospect there was coming yeah. out. Uh, so Derek Brunson is on a tear right now. He is very good, and I like Brunson to pull the upset. He's hard to turn down at plus 140. Like I said, I, if I, I'd give the little bit of an edge to Holland, but it's not minus 170. That's too much. Yeah. Should be a fun free card this weekend, so I'll be enjoying that on Saturday night. Absolutely. Along with it, I will have the double box action going with some uh, college hoops, and uh, watching our boy from Webster uh, go out and reclaim his place in that lightweight division. Now is the big question. Do you want to start with tackles or tight ends? Let's go with tight ends because I think that group's softer. Speaking of softer, all right. Yeah, tight ends there. Uh, want to start at number 10? Yeah, and, I think uh, that's how we did it last and, and work our way down two at a time? Yep. It's almost like we've done this before. Yeah. Um, so, a little bit. I, I, I'll, I'll get going. Want me to go? Yeah, go ahead. Let me go. My number 10 is Miller Forrestal. Uh, tight end on Alabama. He's big. 6'5". Um, I'll be interested to see if we get an updated weight on him. 
Um, as I was looking around for it, I saw 245. I saw 235. Uh, it seemed to be kind of all over. But he's big, physical from Alabama, uh, willing blocker. I think this... Uh, let me just say this. There's a chance that only six or seven of these guys even get drafted. This That's year. right. Um, the, these guys I'm giving to you right now, you may never hear their name. They'll probably catch on somewhere because there's always need for tight ends. Um, and it depends on their skill set. I mean, like yes. my number nine guy is going to make it in the NFL because he blocks. Yeah. Um, so he's going to he's going to fit somewhere as a third tight end. Yeah. Um, Forstall is a guy who in a different offense might have been more explosive. But with Alabama and all those wide receivers, he really didn't get a chance to do much. Right. So be, that's why I have him at 10, because I think there's a chance that he's better in pros than he was even yeah. in college. All right. Um, oh, number nine. I have Pro Wells. Tight end out of TCU, uh, another uh, good size, 6'4", 250. Um, let me see here. So, again, he was supposed to go to Marshall. He stayed out. This is another guy who has ability to play a little bit of H-back. He, he blocks pretty well at TCU. Nothing explosive, though. Uh, but I think he's a little more well-rounded than Forrestal. Forrestal seems to be a little bit of a... If he develops into a good pass receiver, that's where he's going to be. His blocking, based on his size, probably won't be a strong point at the next level. Yeah. Pro Wells, though. Yeah, I like Pro Wells. What you'll a sweet name. You'll hear his name again later. Um, so my first pick at, at number 10, I have Matt Bushman from BYU. Um, Matt Bushman is a guy who he made plays on the field. He's 6'5", 240. Um, he's has a he does a really good job at settling in the zones, finding the open space, and winning contested balls. Um, the problem with Matt Bushman is that he really is not a good blocker. I was watching film today, and there were just some. It's it's an effort thing with the blocking, man. I mean, there, his guy makes the tackle way too much. He doesn't look to finish. He's too big and too strong and old. to to not get more. Um, yeah, of course, he's he's a little bit older guy. Um, but, uh, I mean, Bushman is, he, he had an Achilles injury. You know, it, it was scary. But uh, this is a guy that has an opportunity to play in the next level. In three years, um, he caught 125 passes for 1,719 yards and nine touchdowns. Production, production, production. So he's going he's gonna to catch on somewhere, I believe, and get an opportunity to play. Uh, number nine for me is Ben Mason. Uh, ben Mason is from Michigan, and he played a lot of fullback. Um, but he's 6'3", 254. Um, he's a tremendous run blocker. This is a guy that is going to fit in. He'll play maybe some H-back style position. Um, they're going to be able to move him around a little bit. Uh, his run blocking skills are tremendous. He may even you know, get some fullback time. Um, but this is, this is a guy that some people see him as – a fullback, but I see him more as a tight end or H-back, um, which is why I've placed him here, and uh, I think that he has an NFL career ahead of him. And, um, you know, watching him at the Senior Bowl, it was really impressive to see what he what he was able to do. So me. It's you. Back to me. My number eight, I have uh, – let me make sure I got this right. Yeah, I have Trey McKitty out of Georgia. Uh, this is a guy who – He's just a little bit faster, would probably be in the top five. He he can block. He's not great as a blocker, but he's he's willing. He gets in the way 
<laughs> he holds his own yeah. um, as a run blocker. Uh, definitely not someone who's going to move people around, but he's amazing after the catch. Uh, this is not, He's not going to run by anybody, but he runs through people. Uh, he's not going to be somebody who's running seam routes and pulling away from linebackers with his speed, which is, I think, the biggest thing keeping him down at eight. But catch the ball, make a move, go. Not going to go down the first time somebody puts their mitts on him. Um, and for someone who's probably going to get drafted in the fifth, sixth round, uh, that's going to be nice. It's going to be a nice addition for a team to have a guy who can make a play as that second tight end on their on their roster. And who do you have at number seven? Number seven, Kenny Yeboah. Yeboah. Um, here, where is my page for him? All right. We have a six foot four, two hundred forty five pound senior out of Old Miss. Uh, some people are pretty high on him. I, I mean, I have him right here at seven. I think that he's all right. Uh, he does things okay. There, there's nothing that really jumped out to me. The one thing I would say that's a little bit better than um, <laughs> McKitty would be the run, the run blocking. I think he he blocks a little bit better. Um, he's able to move around. Uh, they used him in some some tight end screens even in college. Uh, but n nobody that's going to be making, again, big plays down the field. All right. So long as I don't choke to death, I'll give you my number eight and seven here. <clears throat> on water, nonetheless. What is going on in my life? Getting old. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, number eight, Tony Polgen. He's a tight end from Virginia. Spent the first couple years in college at Central Michigan. This is a player that was the... Uh, Michigan Gatorade Michigan Player of the Year in 2015 coming out of high school. He played quarterback and put up monster numbers. Uh, passed for 6,000 yards, rushed for 3,100 yards, uh, 58 passing and 58 rushing touchdowns. Um, he was a, a top 17 recruit, 17th rated recruit in Michigan that year. Um, he just made the transition to tight end two years ago. This is a guy who he caught 38 passes this year and six receiving touchdowns. He's six foot seven. 265 pounds and he's an athlete and it's going to be an opportunity for someone to mold this player um, into a, a good NFL tight end. I love the athleticism that he that he shows and I love that he's starting to pick up this tight end position over the last couple of years. I think his ceiling is so high from where he'll be selected if he is drafted at all this year. <clears throat> So Tony Polgen, it's a name to keep your keep your eye on. This is somebody that could come from out of nowhere like so many really good tight ends do. Then we've got Hunter Long at number seven for me, tight end from Boston College. Um, listen, he's he's potentially rated higher by some other people. Um, like me. 6'5", 254, big wingspan. Um, you know, he, he's pretty big. And... The big thing with him coming out, he was only like 235 pounds. He's put on some weight over the last couple of years. Um, I really like what he does. He seems to find space really well. Um, but I'm just not sure about any explosiveness out of him. He feels like kind of a road grader type tight end for me. Um, he did catch a lot of passes. He caught 57 passes for 685 uh, and five touchdowns with B.C., um, finished his career with over 1,200 yards receiving um, and nine touchdowns. Production was pretty good in the volume that he caught. I think that, again, speaks to his ability to turn and find spots in zones. 
Um, but I don't necessarily see him as able to stretch the field or create explosive plays. Um, but I think he does. He blocks fairly well. And I think that that leads to guys getting an opportunity at the next level. All right. So I'm up with, I have Nick Eubanks. I believe you've already talked about this young man. No. No? No. Uh, Nick is out of Michigan. He's a six foot five senior, 256. He's another one who's going to be uh, more likely to be an H-back. Uh, blocks well. Uh, this is a plus blocker at tight end, which is nice, and does a lot of the little routes well. He ran a lot of shallow routes, a, little, a lot of the little, hey, look at me, I'm open, dump it off. Um, but it, it he, see, here's the thing. If he goes to the right offense, you know, if he goes to San Francisco and is the number two tight end, he's got a chance to make some plays. Uh, but he has to be that number two tight end that's doing the shorter routes, getting the dump offs. But he does have a skill set that translates because of his blocking more than anything. And then at five is where I have Hunter Long. Um, everyone loves Kyle Pitts, right? Kyle Pitts is great. Well, which tight end had the most targets in college football? Hunter Long, which tight end had the most receptions? Hunter Long. I mean, this guy was very productive in college. Why do I have him at five? For the same thing Kevin mentioned. He's, he doesn't have that elite ability to take a ball and just take off and run away from people. He's not going to run those seam routes that scare the hell out of defenses when they're in cover two. But you, you got a third and six, third and seven. This is your guy. Yeah. This is your guy. He's going to be a solid, productive tight end in the NFL. He'll probably start as tight end two, may be able to work up to the starter, the featured tight end um, in, a, in a good offense. But 685 yards and five touchdowns is nothing to, to sneeze at when, uh, you know, Boston College, all they do is run the ball. Yeah. Um, so he's good. All right. Uh, my number six tight end uh, is Pro Wells. Uh, Pro Wells made some, oh, yeah. some really, really good explosive plays at the college level he's shown he's flashed that athleticism uh that so many people are impressed with he's got really good size uh he made an amazing catch in the corner of the end zone in a game this year uh, this year last year um he, he's just flashed some major ability he's raw but he has the opportunity to be very very good um so i, I really like pro wells here and then at five i have kenny yaboa here he is your stretch the field guy he lines up in the slot a lot um, but he's a mismatch problem. He is a downgraded version of what Kyle Pitts and Mike Gesicki and those type of guys do. Um, you know, just not really in-line guys that are going to be uh, blocking on running plays, and you're going to be happy with that. This is the kind of guy that you want to get a mismatch against a safety that is going to struggle to uh, keep up or catch the high point that Kenny Yaboa will be able to do. All right, so number four, I have my boy Tommy Tremble out of Notre Dame, in case you didn't know. Uh, got a lot of things to say about Tommy Tremble. 6'4", 250. Um, this kid's number one thing he has going for him is he's a freak athlete uh, for his build and size. Um, he's kept being behind other big tight ends at Notre Dame. Uh, I think if he had run it back one more year and was the, got, a, got a year to be the number one guy, it could be different, but with Michael Mayer being there, I think he decided to bounce. Um, but a, a, a super plus athlete, we'll see what his, his um, career develops. But this is a guy who's going to be like Kyle Pitts. He's going to be out in the slot. 
He's going to be split out a lot. He's not going to be in line blocking very often, but he's someone who can create mismatch problems with safeties and um, linebackers, uh, someone who might come in on long passing downs to kind of break it up. And then I have Pat Fryermuth. Um, Pat's a pretty good football player here. Uh, the one thing I would say I noticed is he has a tendency to have some of the dropsies um, in games. Uh, just every once in a while it pops up. And the one thing I don't like about it is when I've seen it pop up, the one thing I notice is it's, he never has one in a game. It seems like if he has one, he starts fighting the ball and it gets it just doubles down. But this guy can block. Yeah, this guy can block. Uh, it's one of his biggest things that he's he's big, he's strong, 6'5", 250, and that might be light for what he'll probably weigh in when he gets up there. Um, they call him Baby Gronk, but he is – don't make that mistake. He's correct. Not, he's not on that level. He's going to be very good, but he's not on that level. Yes, and, that, and I think a lot of people have him as a clear number two, but I, I, I think there's one more that's a better athlete than him. I think Fryermuth is a good tight end. It, I mean, if this was the uh, – Mid nineties, this guy's a stud because he's gonna yeah. block. He's gonna be wide open in the middle of the end zone on on crossing routes. Like that's what he does. And there's still there's still a spot for the in the NFL. But uh, I, I just I have him as three. Yeah, and you know it's understandable. It, it, it's a guy that so many people have him as the clear number two, and and it's hard to uh, it's hard to buck the trend of what everybody else says. Uh, you know, so many people are like this. You know, it's one two this year. It, it's yeah. Pitts, it's Fryermuth, and it's tough when you're when you're saying, "Listen, it's I, I don't really see it that way." Yeah, I felt like know? right there, I was almost having to explain and apologize. <laughs> right, right. Um, at number four for me, and I'm, I'm guessing this is Tom's number two is Brevin Jordan. Oh, my man. Yeah. So Brevin Jordan, I mean, he makes a lot of great plays. He's he's athletic. Um, the one knock that I have on him, listen, his numbers are, are crazy good. Um, he catches the ball like crazy. He put up 1,100 receiving yards and 13 touchdowns um, in his senior year of high school. This guy was, you know, he, he can put up monster numbers. Um, they kind of compare him to, you know, people like Kyle Pitts, you know, the, with his ability to catch and stretch. Um, I don't necessarily see it quite like that he has yak ability though that's yes. that's the thing he is very good at run after the catch so if you're looking for a guy that his weaknesses really you know he doesn't he doesn't win the contested catches as well as he should he doesn't frame people out the way that tight ends typically do so he's not fully rounded you know um he has some drops periodically. His red zone ability—that's the these. And here I am. I'm giving reasons why yeah. I have him below Tommy Tremble. Um, I trust Tommy Tremble a little bit more at three. Um, he seems to catch everything that's near him. I, I like the hands of Tremble, his athleticism, and I think that he can develop as a blocker. I know he hasn't done much of it yet, yeah. uh, but I think he has the frame to do it, and will have an opportunity to become a versatile weapon. Uh, at the next level. So I have Brevin Jordan four, Tommy Tremble three. Love my boy Tommy. Uh, yeah, I do have Brevin Jordan at two, and it's the run after the catch. It's uh, He's so good at it. He's so productive. He's um, This is a guy who started tight end late, uh, like got to college, and they're like, hey, do you want to play tight end? He's like, sure. Um, so he's new to it still. But 
his athleticism shows time and time again on on film. Uh, there's one play that I just watched like five times where he catches the ball about six yards down the field, but in like the flat, hurdles a corner, and then the safety comes up and he trucks the the, the safety. Um, th- this is what this guy brings you. He brings a play where it's a five yard. Let, let me just get it out here to, to Brevin. Yeah. And now it's a 50 yard gain. And he's going to be able to do that in the NFL. He's got speed. I think, and, and disclaimer, Kyle Pitts is my number one. And where Kyle Pitts has elite speed and size and jumping ability, Brevin Jordan has the elite ability to run after the catch, create plays out of nothing. Um, Kyle Pitts is more valuable because it's more consistent. You're going to be able to match him up against people in the red zone, especially where it's money-making time, right? It's like golf. You, you drive for show. You putt for dough. Yeah. Red zone is putting in the NFL. Yeah. And you can throw for all the yards you want, Matt Ryan, but if you're not scoring touchdowns in the red zone, you're not going anywhere. Right. And that's where Kyle Pitts is a quarterback's best friend. He can post people up. He can run those slant routes and get in front of somebody and just flash a huge six foot five, super long wingspan target for your quarterback. His uh, catch radius, man. Yeah, yeah. Any quarterback who gets the, whose team gets them should give their GM like a car. Uh, yeah. Because they're gonna make them a lot of. Money. He's gonna make their quarterback so much money. Yeah. Um, and I, I really think it's Kyle Pitts is one just because the elite ability to do something that's very important in the NFL. Uh, Brevin Jordan's just fun. Young r- yards after the catch, and he's still learning tight end stuff. Like his route running, it's not that great. As so when he gets good at it, which he has the athletic ability to, it, he could be really dangerous. As I had Isaiah Simmons as the best player in the draft last year, I think Kyle Pitts is the best player yeah. in the draft this year. I do. I, I you know, it's it's not going to be valued that way by anyone because of position value right. of the quarterback. Uh, but for me, I think Kyle Pitts is the best player in this draft. His unique ability to catch everything around him and create separation at his size is I mean I don't want to use this comparison but I'm going to he's like Calvin Johnson he doesn't quite have the same speed that Calvin Johnson did but this guy is like Calvin Johnson that plays tight end yeah he is unreal at going up and getting it and creating separation Uh, I, I think that as he refines his route running he becomes you know tight end one in the NFL yeah I was we were talking about Kyle Pitts before and the one thing that's exciting is if he goes to a team that runs a lot of spread the kind of matchups that he could create he could he could just be a terror for someone um so and who, who'd you have too Pat Fryermuth Pat Fryermuth Fryer- Fryer- I, I like Fryermuth there um it, it's, <laughs> a, it's his blocking ability that does it for it's me. so good. You know, his blocking ability does it for me. Yeah, you don't he, see many tight ends who are that good at blocking anymore. Even if he out. struggles in some other areas, his, his elite blocking ability is going to be uh, such a huge value for people. And he is good enough. He, he's really good at catching, the, it, it being a receiver, uh, getting open and stuff. But he's not, he's not the best in this class. He's probably Athlete. fourth in this class. Um, you know, when it comes to receiving as far as tight yeah. ends go, but his blocking is far and away number one. Yeah, he. I just feel like he's limited and um, as a receiver. Like, he's going to catch the ball most of the time, but he doesn't give you any of that elite athleticism anywhere yeah. to do anything special. Absolutely. So we're going to move to uh, offensive tackle right after we take a quick break. Uh, so we'll be back with you in, uh, you know, your world about four seconds. Welcome back. 
Tom was in the midst of some Ryan Fitzpatrick love on his phone. <laughs> <laughs> and I caught him off guard by hitting the record button. <laughs> hey, guys. <laughs> so uh, Nothing to see here. Nothing. Nothing at all. <laughs> Let's talk about the offensive tackles, Tom. Uh, we've got, you know, 10 to go. So this will be, I think, uh, yeah. a really good deep offensive tackle class if all of it, some of these guys won't stick a tackle by the way some of these guys will be sure. guards at the nfl level uh yeah we were talking about this before um this group you know the tight end group probably has four or five guys who are real bona fide prospects that have a chance uh, this group is probably deeper than this 10 we're about to go over um and with that depending on your cup of tea some of these guys can be all over the place so yeah. uh i'll get us started Okay. Yeah. I got a guy ready to go at number 10. Uh, it is Jackson Carmen. Jackson Carmen, tackle out of Clemson, uh, 6'5, 345. Um, this kid's really good. Uh, obviously, he played with a great, high powered offense. He's been in big games. He's played a lot of games for someone in, at this stage of his career. The one thing that kind of pulls him down is he's probably going to be a guard in the NFL, uh, which limits his value right so still a very good player has a chance to be a very good guard in the nfl but he goes from being an undersized tackle to a big guard and i think that's where some of these guys get moved there um so jackson carmen for all those reasons i mean it seems like a no-brainer to me and then alex leatherwood's gonna be my number nine alex leatherwood again alabama this guy's a senior six five three twelve and i think it's it's a similar thing he was very good um, at pass protecting um, for Alabama. He played right tackle, ended up moving to left. Uh, the one thing I would say with him is he's probably also going to be moved to guard. I, I, I just think based on his height and his arm length, this is going to be somebody who's kicked inside, so that limits his value and keeps him down here. But both of these guys have seen it, done it, been there. Um, got the t-shirt and are very good athletes for their build and size, but because they're probably getting moved to guard, they're down the list a little bit. Yeah. Uh, for me, number 10, Spencer Brown, uh, tackle from Northern Iowa, six foot eight, 314 pounds, 82 and a half inch wingspan. Um, he has all the size and athleticism that you would look for. He has not faced the level of competition that people would like to see. Yeah. The big concern is, will he be able to manage at that height? Will he play too high? Uh, will guys that are like quick twitch, bend, bend. type of uh, edge rushers give him a hard time? And will he be able to manage against counters? Will he be so high that guys can bull rush him? But I think that he has a lot of tools. And I think he fits as a day two or early day three prospect here. Um, and I think that, he, you know, he will be drafted. He will get an opportunity. Oh, yeah. And I think he, he will start at some point in his NFL career. I think he has right tackle all over him. Yep. I think uh, we've seen the taller men getting moved to right tackle. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where he fits. Uh, this is somebody I looked at, too, that I'd probably have at 11 or 12. Just uh, I like a lot. I mean, his size is it's awesome. Yeah. I think it's just something that he has to work on catching up to the speed of NFL pass rushers a little more than some of these other guys. Absolutely. Uh, number nine for me, Liam Eichenberg uh, from Notre Dame. 6'6", 302 pounds. He's large. He's strong. Um, he does a good job with, you know, 
understanding what's happening in front of him. He, he positions himself well. Um, he picks up stunts and blitzes really well, um, keeps his feet moving. I think that, you know, the thing that he's going to have trouble with is I'm afraid that the speed rushers might be able to get around him. And I don't know if he can anchor really well enough against the guys who go speed to power. So I think that there is an opportunity for him to be a starter in the NFL. I'm not sure that he'll stick as a left tackle either. Um, he may move to right tackle at the next level. Um, he was a four-star recruit. This is, was a, a guy who, you know, was a really, really good recruit. And um, he played really well. And there weren't a lot of glaring weaknesses. He didn't have games where it was like, oh, God, he, he got uh, destroyed here. He shut down guys like Patrick Jones and – um, you know, Victor Demukajay from Duke, <laughs> you know, the, so against the guys, the best guys that he played against, uh, he did a very nice job. So I, I'm a big fan of Liam Eikenberg. I think that he will be drafted um, on day two. I think that he, he lands somewhere. Yeah, I have Liam as number eight. So yeah. um, obviously I've seen him play a lot here as he uh, played through his senior season at Notre Dame. Um, a better run blocker than pass blocker. And I think it's for some of those same reasons you said. Uh, sometimes he's not quick enough to set on some of the guys getting outside. And at, he plays a little lighter. He's like 6'6", but he's only like 305. So if you have a big enough pass rusher and they can get into him, he sometimes has hard time stopping those bull rushes. Um, but technique and run blocking, a little bit of the nasty. Uh, Liam's got all that. Uh, which is another reason I like this next one. I have at number seven, Samuel Cosme, yeah, uh, from Texas, a, a big boy, six seven, uh, weighed in at like three ten last year. This guy has played um, thirty four games at tackle for the Longhorns. A uh, little bit of right, a little bit of left. Um, he's probably going to be a right tackle again for the same reason, right? Six seven. He's big, maybe not the uh, fleetest of feet, uh, <laughs> but uh, he big, strong. Uh, everything you can imagine for a Texas offensive lineman. This is him to a T. And another one who, uh, a theme for these first four on my list, these guys who've played into their junior years, all of them are redshirt juniors or seniors, uh, played a lot of games, have a lot of experience in big games, and uh, really some blue-chip prospects. And and these are the first four. Like we're, we're getting better here. Yeah. So number eight for me, I have James Hudson from Cincinnati. Uh, James Hudson is 6'4 and 3'8", 302, um, 82 and an eighth inch wingspan. Um, he does a really nice job at protecting the passer. The big concern is whether or not he's going to be fleet of foot enough to uh, deal with the speed rushers at the next level. He, you know, he was an athlete in, in high school that played defensive end as well. Um, he was really good. Um, he did a nice job against Aziz Ojolari in the bowl game this year. So, I mean, that's a that's an impressive guy to perform well against. So he did strike with some violence uh, during the senior bowl practices. Um, so he had some, some really good opportunities there. I think he's going to be a right tackle again. Um, a lot of these guys down here, they're going to be really good offensive tackles, but they're going to be right tackles. So Right. Um, I think that he's a nice fit, and um, I think that he's probably like in the top 100 um, players in this draft. I think he'll be gone by the end of day two. Um, so another guy that you're going to hear this a lot. A lot of offensive linemen are going to go 
pretty early here. So um, I have James Hudson at eight. Um, at seven, I have Dylan Radons from North Dakota State. Um, this is a guy that's six five and five eights, three oh four. Um, doesn't have. I mean, he's got arm length at thirty three and a quarter. Um, doesn't have the big wingspan. Um, picking, he's had to gain weight. He he wasn't always you know carrying the weight that he needed. Um, he, you know, he was a defensive end coming out of high school, and then they switched him over to the offensive side of the ball. And um, he, he ended up being very, very good. He's very productive. His senior bowl performance is what did it for me. I saw him do a great job against all those guys that he went up against. Um, it was very, very impressive. He was on a good team there with uh, Trey Lance um, at North Dakota State. So, you know, he, he didn't end up really getting much of an opportunity to, to play this year or showcase those skills. So I think that Radons is a guy that he has an opportunity to maybe even stick at left tackle. I don't know that he's going to end up being moved. I think this is a guy that could be a left tackle in the NFL. So the big concern is I, I think his anchoring against power rush is my biggest concern. So I actually have Radons at number six for me. So, mm. again, right, right in the same area. And I think a lot of what you said is perfect. And I see him as a left tackle. I think one of these things – he's one of these guys who's – probably too skinny at the college level and can add on 10, 15 pounds safely. Yeah. Um, and they'll probably look to do that. And when he does that, that's going to help him with those anchorings. And he's all, he's so big and quick. Six on up here to me are all very good pro options at left tackle. I, I would not be surprised to see four out of these top six start uh, – more than a handful of games, if not the whole season, for their guys, right. for their teams. Uh, this is a very good group of tackles, and it starts him. And then at five, I have Jalen Mayfield, um, tackle out of Michigan. Uh, he came out a little earlier um, than I probably would expect it as a sophomore, but uh, he's very, very good. And one of the things he has is experience against amazing pass rushers. Here's a list of some of the guys he's had to block. Yator Gross Matos, Chase Young, Anthony Jennings, Jason Oa, uh, Terrell Lewis, Khalid Kareem, and Julian Aquara. In college, he's yeah. had to he's had to go up against all these guys. So he definitely has an ability and has a little bit of that uh, seen it, done it, taken care of. Um, I think his size, 6'5", 319, he's like the perfect size for an O tackle. Um I, there's nothing really seen. Run blocking for days. Got a little yeah. bit of a mean streak. Obviously playing in Michigan, you're gonna run the ball a lot. Some Big Ten football. Uh, a lot to like with these two. Great transition here for me to my number six uh, with the talk of a mean streak, and that's Tevin <laughs> Jenkins, um, the meanest of all of the tackles in this draft. This guy is nasty, angry, uh, hates the world kind of attitude <laughs> on the football field. Uh, I anticipate this guy being a mauler at the next level, a right tackle. Um, I don't believe he'll be a left tackle because I think some of his pass protection things are not quite as strong as some of these other prospects that we have up here. But I think this guy is a mauling right tackle uh, that just shoves people around. He, you know, somebody gets their hands on him and he's immediately chopped them off. And and uh, he loves going forward in the run game. If you can get this guy on a power run team, he is going to be a huge asset for them. I love Tevin Jenkins here uh, at number six. And then I have Jalen Mayfield at number five. 
Um, all the reasons that Tom talked about that level of competition that he's faced. He has great size and athleticism. I mean, he, he's shown that he can handle these guys that are um, strong and powerful, and he, he's shown the ability to have enough quickness to get out there and, and protect uh, against the speed rushers. I think Jalen Mayfield is a really sound prospect here in this draft at number five for me. At four is where I have Tevin Jenkins. Um, <laughs> there's some people you hear like, oh, yeah, he's got a mean streak or whatever. And then there's some people that when you're watching, it it just is constant. This is someone who's being warned by refs over and over and over again to play to the whistle and not after. This is someone who's taking his man to the ground and then keeping them there, not just, you know, letting it letting it be. Yeah. Um, I think what you what, – you know the right tackle, left tackle thing may play a role, and if he gets drafted at four or you know fourth tackle or the seventh tackle, uh, it, it could be anywhere in there based on where some of these guys see them. Because that's a big difference when you're talking about uh, draft stock as far as all that goes. Right. Um. So yeah, but I have him at four. He's fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, number three, Kristen Derisaw. Uh, this kid is another big guy, obviously, right? Uh, o tackle Virginia Tech six five three fifteen. Um, he's going to be a left tackle in the NFL. He's going to be very good at running. One thing that I noticed at Virginia Tech they do a, they did a lot of was getting him out in space at left tackle when they would do a outside zone run or they would do a quick wide receiver bubble screen. He was the one getting out in front. Um, so that kind of athleticism really uh, should set him a chance to be very good in the NFL. Uh, this is, you know, these top three are all potential, like, all-star level left tackles to me. Yeah. Um, for me, I actually have uh, Samuel Cosme much higher than oh, yeah. than others. Um, I've got him at number four. He looked really good at his pro day. His athleticism is never in doubt. Um, this is a guy who all it really, to me, ter- comes down to does he give more effort at the NFL level. Uh, the knock on him is he showed some laziness at, at the college level at times where he could have finished guys and didn't. Um, he has the ability to do so. He's a, he has a wrestling background. Um, he understands leverage. He's very intelligent about football. He knows how to pick up the, the stunts and um, create good angles. I think this guy is going to be a long-term answer for someone at tackle in the NFL. I just think that he somebody needs to bring it out of him. Um, all the time, but his potential has brought him to number four for me. And at number three, I also have Christian Derrissaw. Um, all the reasons that, that Tom mentioned, his his ability to, um, you know, it, he does show some nastiness in his game too, you yeah. know, and, and uh, I really like what he's done. He's faced a lot of good competition as well. Um, for me, I think that Derrissaw could be um, – I can't say this because he's the. I think he's the second best pass blocker uh, that I've seen in this class. Um, he's got good length, and you know what are the concerns? Maybe some footwork stuff. Um, if if he can really clean up some of that stuff, um, then I, I think he's going to be all right. Um, you know, and just really work on the technique pieces. But that's something that can be coached up at the NFL level. Yeah. Um, but I, I really really like Christian Darrisaw. Number two. Rashawn Slater, uh, I think this guy's been steadily climbing my radar along with the rest of the draft world. Uh, some of his w- recent workout stuff that's been out there has been pretty crazy. Just uh, throwing a bunch of weight around, and don't be don't be uh, surprised by the man's baby face. Yeah, he's a big, strong kid. Um, 
The one thing that has me concerned over the last probably – so I had him number two, and I've had him number two for a while, and this may change between now and the draft because I've seen some people talk about moving him inside, um, and if that's a common thread, he's going to have to that, – that's going to have to be adjusted. But as of right now, uh, at Northwestern, he was great. He went up against Chase Young twice and – Shut him out. Shut him out. And we've seen what Chase Young has been a monster in the NFL. So if you're able to do that, um, I'm a big fan of him. Uh, and I and some teams will see his uh, the flexibility of going. You know, maybe he can play left tackle. Maybe he can play inside. A lot of teams will will love that about him. And yeah, uh, you know, a lot of teams have the offensive line theory of I just want the best five out there, and we'll figure out the order at some point. Um, so that may may help him, uh, but mostly it'll it'll hinder the draft. But what a big, strong kid! And then Panay Sewell, number one. Uh, I'm assuming this is Kevin's order. We'll see here in a second. But Sewell's been number one on this for this draft at tackle for a few years now. It's just kind of waiting. Um, he likes to run block. He likes to mow people down. He likes to get to the second level. Uh, he's he's physical, but he's also um, technical enough to to really make some pass blocks where he's 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 kind of out athleted that's not a word but i just made it one um by the other guy you know yeah so um you know i hate to break it to you but i haven't flipped okay i have uh i love i love and and what he brings to the table um the the difference between these two for me is when you watch rashawn slater just shut down guys like chase young just absolutely control them, and, and there's not even pressures coming from someone yeah. who dominates at the NFL level the next year. Uh, Slater kind of slid down people's radars a little bit due to his, uh, you know, opting out uh, of this past season. His workouts show that he has not quit working hard. He, yes. He's performed extraordinarily well in his workouts. The guy looks the part. His pass protection skills, I believe, are number one in this draft. I think that there's no doubt that if you need to protect the blind side of your passer, Rashawn Slater will do it for a long time in the NFL. Do I think that he is as good as the top-tier tackles in the NFL? No. I don't think that anyone in this draft is from these this tackle group. I think we have a great tackle group as a whole that are going to be a lot of starters, but I don't think we have a superstar because I think yeah. Panay Sewell is actually better suited to play guard in the NFL. I think that he could be one of the best guards in the league. Um, but I don't know that he's necessarily the best in space. Uh, I think he gets a little bit lost when he gets out there in space, and for me, that is my biggest concern. I do love his his aggressive downhill uh, power blocking. He's very yeah. good at it. He's <laughs> the best tackle in the draft at it because he's good technically with it as well as being a bully. So, you know, there are other guys. Tevin Jenkins is nastier than he is, uh, but he's not as technically sound as Panay Sewell is. So this is going to be a great draft for the tackles. Uh, if you need one this year, uh, take one, any of these top six, five, five, six, anywhere in there. I think you've got an opportunity to have somebody that can be there, um, right tackle or left tackle. Um, but this is a really strong draft. All right. And that's going to be a wrap for the show tonight. Yeah, next week. What do we have next week? We have some World Golf Championship. Yep. Always a fun time. We got a preview of UFC 260. Great card. Great card coming up for that. We're going to check in on March Madness. We'll do something fun for the second weekend, similar yeah. to what we did here. And then what draft people are we breaking down? 
we're going big boys. We're going interior offensive linemen and interior defensive linemen. Uh, interior defensive line are both uh, some of mine and Kevin's favorite to just oh, watch yeah. these big boys move people they're around. So much fun. They're the best. So uh, we'll be doing that next Wednesday. All right, guys. Uh, it's been a fun episode tonight. Hope you guys all enjoy it. Uh, catch us all next week for uh, the continuation of our draft preparation. See you all next week.